In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Well, good afternoon. It's Monday, 5.30 p.m. drive time, and you're listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories. My name is Julian Gibb, and again, we're blessed to have Marcus Doe come and join us. If you were listening last week, you would have heard the story about how Marcus was uh, a refugee who came from Liberia, who had his family uh, wrenched, snatched, taken away from him, ripped away from him, and how he was forced into the Ghana, the nearby country, into a refugee camp, everything taken away from him. He ended up in the United States of, of America as a refugee, and it was there that he was dealing with um, the events that had happened in his life, trying to unpack them, trying to heal from them. And we heard how he had joined the uh, United States Army in um, not for the best reasons, uh, in order so he could learn how to um, take a revenge out on the person who killed his family and ruined his life. But something happened. Marcus was saying something happened. He was reading scripture, and scripture said that those who forgive will be forgiven. And so now we're back at the point where Marcus has gone back to Liberia in order to uh, find the man who uh, killed his family, uh, killed his father. And uh, so, Marcus, let, let, let's go from there. So you're, you're back in Liberia. It's 20 years after the event took place. You changed. The country has changed. And now you uh, are seeking the man who uh, killed your father. Uh, but you were saying that at the time of the murder, it probably wasn't a man. It was a boy. Uh, it could have been a boy, uh, but it was it was it was a man. Uh, it was it was it was a man. Uh, and uh, so I get I get to I let's I buy the ticket. I go to Liberia. And I I arrive at two points where I want to meet this man, but I also haven't seen my family in 20 years, Julian. So the plane lands in Liberia, and it's just I can feel the heat, I can feel the I can feel the country. And I get there, and even though it's my home country, I have to line up, which is kind of odd in the foreigners' line because mm. I'm an American citizen at this point. So I get to Liberia, and um, I get home. I, I get to the house that I grew up in, mm. and my brothers are there. Mm. Um, Two of all three of them, I, I get to see, and we we stay up all night, having just the conversation of conversations of conversations, <laughs> the mother of conversations. Because I have we have twenty years of catching up to do, mm. right? I know them, but I don't really know them. If you know, it's just a, it's a strange feeling to sit with someone that you know, but they you've gone so far apart that you don't really know few people know what i'm what i'm trying to express here so we sat and we talked and we cried and they shared their stories and i'm in liberia for five weeks and every person i ever knew is coming to visit me and see me because in liberia when someone at least at that point when people hadn't seen you for a long time they assumed you were dead mm. The war has ended and it's been 20 years. If someone hasn't seen you in 20 years, people don't bring up other people's grief. So no one really asked about me in a neighborhood or in the schools. 
people didn't know I was alive. Right. Um, so I'm in my old neighborhood, and I'm showing up to places that I used to show up to when I was eight, nine years old, yeah. and people are shocked to see me. Huh. There was an older lady that I used to buy sugar from down the street. I walked over to her house, and 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 I say, hey, it's me. And in Liberia, my name is Jungle Boy because I was always out in the woods, always out in, in snakes and all those kind of things. <laughs> that was my jam, fishing, all those kinds of things. So I was called Jungle Boy, barefoot, running around. Yeah. So I get to her house, and I, and I spoke to her, and she said, who are you? And I said, it's Jungle Boy. And she nearly faints. Wow. Because she thinks she's looking at a ghost. And she yeah. can really, I have these scars on my forehead. I know this is radio. But that's yeah. how she recognized that it, uh, really, it really was, was. me. Yeah. Um, some, some of my, my elementary school friends and all these people. I was in Liberia for five weeks. I gained 27 pounds. Tw- 27? 27 pounds because everyone killed a goat. Fried foods. Ah. It was a feast. Hospitality. Hospitality. Wherever I went, it was a feast. And it was so hot, and I couldn't really drink the water. So I was drinking just sugary drinks. So I was just putting on the pounds (laughs) and enjoying life. There are two instances that I would like to share with the audience uh, in Liberia. Uh, One, it was a day I was in a barber shop. And I'm sitting um, in a shop full of men. I I wouldn't loosely. It's just a, a little hot or kind of makeshift place for people to get their hair cut. Right. And I'm sitting in the chair. And back there, you pay first before you get your hair cut. So I give this guy five U.S. dollars, which is usually a haircut. It's about one one dollar U.S. Okay. dollars. But yeah, I mean, him, wow. the, the purchasing power is kind of the same thing. So I give him five dollars. Yeah, the royal treatment. Yeah. And I mean, in America, I will pay fifteen, twenty dollars for a haircut. So I thought five dollars. is. And, I'm getting, mm. and so he's taking his time. He's doing everything. <laughs> he's. I mean, he's. You know, he's holding all his appointments. <laughs> he's giving me a treat. So we started talking. Yeah. And then he asked me, he said, what's your name? Mm. And I said, my name is Marcus. And I said, my last name. My last name is Doe. Mm. And he had this reaction. Oh. Uh, he said, your last name's Doe? And I said, yeah. And he said, where are you from? And I said, I, he, he said, I know. I noticed you're not a from here. Right. Right. Uh, and you're an American. I can hear it in your accent, yeah. which is strange. Uh. And I said, yeah, but that house across the street yeah. is where I grew up. It's where I lived. Right. And he says, oh, you're Mr. Doe's son. And mm. I said, yes. And he said, wow. Uh, turns out he was a rebel soldier 20 years earlier. My. Um, and he was in the MPFL who which, at that point would have killed me during the war. Wow. He was one of the people who would have ended my life 20 years earlier. And at this point in the haircut, he's shaving my beard with a, with a blade. blade. <laughs> and he freezes, and I freeze. Mm. And he looks at me. He said, why did you come back? Yeah. You know, how did you survive the war? Why did you come back? Yeah. And I said, God did something in my heart. Mm. Um, and he was, he was listening. And I said, I came back for people like you. Ooh. And... Everybody else in the barbershop was yeah. listening to the conversation. And it turns out a lot of them had fought in a war. I was amongst soldiers who would have ended my life 20 years earlier. 20 years earlier, that conversation would have been very different. And they, were all, they all started to tell me their stories of how they couldn't sleep because of the people they had killed. Mm. They were sleeping with you know, alcohol and, and, and right. things to help and them numb ex- the pain. Yeah. And yeah. they didn't have anywhere else to go. And I thought, man. I mean, and then that's when I reversed. I was like, you know what? These guys are my age. They're not the monsters. I mean, tears were in that barbershop that right. day. Wow. 
And I was just like, oh, what is, then I, I realized, man, my life is going to be different. Mm. Because I think forgiveness is going to be my my lane. Mm-hmm. Like working with people like this is going to be my lane. Perhaps not on this level, but at some level. So I leave Liberia. Um, the second story I should. Well, so I, I got to go back because I'm I'm struggling to 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 comprehend this. You know, your words are very clear. You know, uh, but you're in a barber shop with a, a a group of people who 20 years ago would have had knives, uh, razor blades, uh, looking to kill you. Absolutely. And now 20 years later, you're you're in in a, in a, in a, in a a hut is that what you said? A, it's like a, a makeshift, boarded up kind of container, or whatever you want to call it. You're in a container yeah. uh, with these guys, yeah. uh, with razor blades and knives, yeah. uh, and, and and but there's this 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 sense of, uh, I guess, awe and says this sense of like forgiveness of of uh, those who have done crimes coming literally face to face with those they have done the crimes to. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I read a book a few years ago by Brian Stevenson, and one of the lines Brian always says is that we are all more than the worst things we've ever done. Mm. And it stuck with me. Mm. Like the worst thing, you can't be, the, we shouldn't be defined by the worst things we've ever done. Mm. And I felt that for them. I felt that for me. Like I'm more than the mistakes I've made. And they made grand mistakes. They did terrible things. I'm not excusing no, them. No, justice no, no. has justice has its take its course with them as well. Yeah. But human to human, yes. I believe forgiveness heals. Whether they end up in prison, they end up somewhere else. Uh, but human to human, people mm-hmm. can be rehabilitated. We can we can offer forgiveness and receive forgiveness and move on with life. Even though I feel like justice has a place in that as well. So you were saying forgiveness heals, and so is that is that a two way stream? I.e. The forgiveness heals you, Marcus. Yeah, but it also the fact that you're forgiving gives opens the door for them for healing. Absolutely, because they were telling me that man, I can walk. I walk around the streets and people won't even look me in the face mm. because of what I did 20 yeah. years ago, and yeah. I can't say I'm sorry enough. Right, um, and they're all over Liberia. They're still, you know, uneducated, illiterate, a generation of young men um, all over. Because I mean, I guess they were just like 10 year olds given a gun or a knife and say, "Go kill," and they did, or else. And they did ruthlessly. Um, the second story, maybe this is a maybe no, should, this no, is no. a sad one, not sad one, no. but this is everything yeah. sad here. <laughs> uh, I'm in a church across the street again from my house on a Sunday afternoon, and I told this story to my church a few days ago. And the pastor asks before he preaches, he said, "If you don't have a Bible, move next to someone who does." Two thirds of the church got up and moved. Mm. And at that point, I had seven Bibles in my house back in the states. Right, and I thought. I can help with this situation. Uh-huh. So for a few years there, I was sending Bibles back to Liberia, yeah, so people can have access to them. Yeah, but that's that's kind of that's the level of poverty that existed in Liberia ten, eleven years ago. Okay. Um, just a dearth of biblical resources. Yeah. Anyway, so the forgiveness thing starts starts growing in me, and the last day that I'm in Liberia, it's raining, and I'm getting ready to go. And I don't want to come back to the states because I'm, you know, I'm enjoying life. <laughs> so <laughs> eating, I know I, eating well, eating eating very well, <laughs> and so I I and I and I I'm praying to God. I said, God, it, it I, at that point I still want to go be a politician, still want to go to law school, hmm. and I think no, I had never thought of seminary, I had never thought of pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. and I said, God, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to come back to Liberia 
build libraries so people can exist. Mm. These soldiers can mm. be able to read and, and get, get, get there. That's one of the things they wanted to do was to be educated. So I thought maybe I could do that. Right. But then, and then those dreams started to fade and I realized this forgiveness thing is, is worldwide. Yeah. It doesn't have a color. It doesn't, it, it affects every single person in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came back to the States and I decided maybe maybe this is the path that God has put me on. Yeah. My greatest pain, the greatest hardship I ever had was where my ministry would come from. And mm. that's what's happening. Mm. That's what's happened today. So so mo- moving forward, so uh, you come back to the United States. Uh, you go to seminary. Yeah, I came back to the States. Yeah. Uh, I, I went to seminary. I went to I went to Gordon-Conwell Theological mm-hmm. Seminary. Uh, right outside of Boston, yeah, uh, one of the best decisions I've ever made. Yeah. Uh, just great education. Second, uh, second only to Regent College in Vancouver, Canada. Yeah, sorry, you snuck that one in. I see. Uh, I graduated from there. I do I, I? You know, I take it on and enjoy it. I love it. I'm learning. I'm, I'm getting shaped, getting formed. Yeah, um, and I start my ministry. And while I'm in seminary, is when. Hendrickson Publishers approaches me to, to write this, to publish this book. And I told him, yeah, I already have it written. So we start working on it, and we get it. We, the book comes out in 2016. It does really well. I wrote articles for Christianity Today, all those kind of things. And I, I, land, in, I land in Denver at a church, and I start pastoring. And our church in Denver has a nonprofit that helps people who are in poverty get out of poverty. Mm. And, and through that situation, I started to meet individuals who were coming out of jail um, coming out of prison, started to meet single moms, people who were on drugs, on drugs previously, and I and I saw a common thread, uh, at least with the men. Um, a lot of them were just like me, fatherless boys, mm. who were in turn repeating the cycle, and their kids were fatherless because they had spent so much time, and it was unforgiveness with their dads right. that they were repeating with their kids. Oh my! And I started to see that, and I, I realized. The fatherlessness thing is huge in me and being a mentor for kids in the cities and and walking through that. So I thought, okay, when I moved to Tucson and became a pastor of Redemption Tucson, I said, you know, fatherlessness is going to be a big deal for me and also reconciliation. Wow. Amen. You're listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories. My name is Julian Gibb. If you just tuned in, we're listening uh, to my new friend, Marcus. Marcus has this amazing story of becoming... um, a refugee uh, brought into the United States on, uh, on uh, originally on a journey of murder, on a mission of murder, but now on a mission of hope and forgiveness. And we're just hearing about uh, how he's just uh, come out of seminary, he's working within a church, and he's helping people uh, with their own forgiveness, how they can be set free, and how his words, how forgiveness enables people to heal. So, so Marcus, back to you. So, so you're in uh, Denver, and you were saying that... Um, you're finding that uh, uh, as you were raised without a father, that brought difficulties to your life. And you said that you noticed that uh, here, no doubt around the world, but here in the United States, that um, uh, there are uh, children or adult uh, sons who are dealing with the issues of not having had a father raise them. So tell us more. Uh, we say it in Denver, and I will continue to say it for the rest of my life, I think. Uh, this is one of the biggest frayed fabrics of American society. Mm. And my work would be to reweave that that fabric. Um, Fatherless boys produce other fatherless boys. It affects the prison system. It affects the school system. It affects relationships high and wide. 
Hey, just look at look at your neighborhood, look at your schools, look at the kids who are getting in the most trouble. You will see that they don't have a father in the home or have trouble. It either drives you to great success like a bunch of our athletes or it cripples you severely as a boy. And mm. the, the crippled stories are littered all over our cities. Right. Um, so it's a, it's a passion of mine. I don't know if you can see it. But I, I, I would love to sit down with any father – who walked away from his family mm. and would like to get reunited. And I will sit with any son who's willing to hear his father. And we can sit and have that, those conversations with a, with a counselor and we can walk through that. So at least we can reweave one relationship, one family at a time, two lives at a time. Because I met fathers who wanted to rekindle the relationship with their sons, but they didn't know how. Mm. And I've met sons who said, man, I just want some answers from my dad. I don't need anything from him, right. but I just want to let him know that I'm actually doing okay. Right. And I want to know, like, why did you leave? Can we yeah. can we repair this thing? Yeah. I, I, it's a fantastic way to, to, to really reweave American society. It's such a gap. And I think we can, as a church in America, mm-hmm. can put an emphasis on that. It would change inner cities. It would change this country. I sincerely believe that. And that, uh, you know that that that, as you were saying, that spans across uh, race or country of origin, or you know, it, it, it's everyone. And you know, we, we all we all seem to pass on our, if, if left unchecked, we all seem to pass on our own problems. Onto our onto our children, you know, it's kind of like I know when before we had our kids, you know, we, my wife and I were reading all these books, you know, congratulations, you're about to have a baby, you know, here's how to to raise them and this and that, and it's like they don't work, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. and you have to really look inside yourself and go, how am I hindering this process? What 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 issues do I have that need to be resolved so that I don't pass it on to my children, my two girls, and so so um, give us some. Um, Give us some stories. You know, of course, we don't want names. We don't want anything that that will show something out. But, 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 what sort of what sort of examples have you had when when you sat down with a, a father and and a son? Uh, what what healing have you seen take place? Because you are the p- best person to do it. One, you, you you come from out of the country, you know, and you've come into the country. Two, you've been through this wilderness yourself, so you, you speak from example, and uh, you've been able to heal through forgiveness. So, so give us some examples of how you have helped others become reunited and healed. Let me, uh, yeah, let me say this. When I when I was in school, I noticed that a lot of my friends who were uh, I would speak for the African-American demographic. I mm. uh, didn't okay. have fathers. Uh, a lot of my friends who have died, I'm 41 years old, and uh, my friends that I went to high school with, some of them died, died. on the streets. Um, and the, the biggest factor I see with me moving on to going, and a lot of my friends who moved on and are living good good lives in a sense, they had their fathers. And the guys who have lost their lives did not have fathers. Uh, I was sitting in my office in Denver, and we're having a conversation. I'm having a conversation with a guy, um, and he's on the street, and he and I'm talking to him, and he says, and the common thread with all my conversations is like I didn't have a father. Um, there was a homeless guy who slept a few, I don't know, a few hundred yards from where our church was. Um, I'm sitting in the office. I was like, you know, how did you how did you get where you are, and what do you want to do? He said, the story begins way back in Detroit, when my father left us when I was uh, seven years old. And I didn't have anybody to guide me, and I ended up on the street. 
um, since I've left, it's sad to say, since I left Denver in November, four of the guys that I work with has either taken their lives or died. Because, and all of them did not have a father. And all of their kids will not have a father. Um, I think people who helped me move, and I, I think the greatest, I guess, one of the stories I could tell, uh, one of my friends, uh, a good friend in Denver, is a politician doing really well. Um, I was on a walk with him um, uh, before I left Denver this last summer. Mm. And he said to me, I, I, I appreciate your book. I appreciate your story. And I'm taking the steps to actually go and find my dad. Because the last picture I have of him was I am at the top of the stairs as a seven-year-old with tears in my eyes. Mm. And he has his bags in his uh. hands. And he opens the door and he walks out. He is a little bit older than I am. I think mm. he's 44. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't seen his father since. Mm. And I thought, we're still in process of trying to find his dad. Right. So we can have that conversation. Um, and the story also goes to girls and women that, who yeah. don't, who have, who are missing uh, fathers. But that's one of the clearest pictures I have in my mind of a story yeah. that um, a father is missing. Mm. Just a Saturday night, I got a phone call at 11.40 my time. So it would have been 12.40 Denver time from a gentleman that I hadn't seen in two and a half years. Uh, called me and said, hey, I just need somebody to talk to. He's in his mid-50s. Same story. Didn't have a dad. Now was struggling with his situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had other grief issues. His grandma had passed away of COVID and all those kinds of things. But he, I just sat on the phone with him and talked for 45 minutes in the middle of the night. You know, I'm younger than he is, but it's, it's just a camaraderie. It's like a father figure or, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It is such a desperation situation in the States with fatherlessness. I was a teacher and I saw it in a classroom with kids who did not have fathers in their homes or didn't have mentors in their homes. I mean, it's just, it's devastating. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, are, are the fathers, um, I mean, there must be, you know, an element of not wanting to be reunited because of fear, because of guilt, you know, because yeah. of, because of them, they rejected their family. And now if they went back knocking on the door, the fear of them being rejected by the family that they let down. And so, so again, it's that, it's that forgiveness and healing, you know, and uh, one of your quotes in your book, catching rice birds, everyone go out, get it, read it. Um, was forgiveness is not naive, it is courageous. And so, um, you know, do d- tell us about how uh, people have been healed. Are, are there situations where uh, you have been with a father and you have been with a son and that they have reunited, that they have started talking, that they have started the forgiveness stroke healing process? There's one story, I think... Um of a, of a guy who came through the program uh, in Denver and he desperately wanted to be reunited with his kids that he had walked away from. Mm. And we invited him and I was having a conversation with him and he said, man, I, I really want to do this, but I don't want anybody to be there when I do this. And um, he worked with him, had the conversation with his son. And one day he and his son and his son was older walked in the building i think his son was in his 30s and they both walk into the building at the same time he said it's not perfect you know but Mm. we're working through it and his son was you know 
still trying to wrestle with the past and all those kind of things. But that's what I think that's where we need to go is mm-hmm. to take that journey of forgiveness because it heals both people. Right. The absence and and the the desertion yeah. need can be reweaved and 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 rewoven, I should say, sure. and and move forward. But yeah, it's such a it's such a such a good thing, but it's also a very difficult thing. And if you're a father out there, you say, "Man, I want to do this." Um, you're not alone. Right. We can we can get cohorts of fathers together. Yeah. So there is a bond in a sense, man. I want to do this. Right. Um, and we can do them. We can we can work through it and start getting fathers and sons together. So, and I guess you're saying, you know, it heals two generations, the father and the son, but then probably the grandson. Absolutely. You know, because then, then they can learn and, and rebuild that unity. So in, in 20 seconds, what would you say to someone listening now, either a son, adult son, child son, or a father who is seeking reconciliation? What would you say to them? If you have to wait till you're ready for it, you will never get there. If I had to wait for forgiveness and say I'm ready to forgive this person, you'll never get there. You have to jump in and you have to start the process some way, somehow. I wouldn't wait till when I'm ready to do it. You 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 will you will you will barely get there. Well, friends, so you hear you've heard it here from Marcus, who has lived it himself. You know, healing forgiveness enables both sides to heal. So, how can you be involved? How can God use you to bring healing to a family and to this nation? Thank you for tuning in. We look forward Jesus to joining you next week. As come and follow me next Monday at five thirty p.m. on Faith Talk thirteen sixty. We'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.